Ellen on politics. Together we'll stand. Welcome again to Alan on Politics. And of course, their theme song was a little bit of Let's Work Together from Canteet. And today we have a guest from all the way in Geneva, Switzerland, Marco Dondi, who recently published a book. Whoops. It's called Outgoing, Outgrowing Capitalism. Uh, Marco is a strategic consultant in banking, economics, development, adult education in a variety of fields, according to the uh, dust cover of your book. Uh, anything else you want to say about your background, which might be pertinent to making people uh, uh, give you some credibility? Uh, thanks, Alan. Um, no, I think I think that's enough. I guess it's uh, uh, I've spent indeed the most of my adult uh, career working on a mix of uh, economics and uh, uh, labor topics in particular, and now, yes, I'm focusing a bit also on adult education, but I think the training I got and the passion is really on uh, how to make uh, a society a better place for everyone. Uh-huh. I finished the book two days ago. It was just published, what, about a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago? Uh, two weeks, I think, now. Yeah. And I have read it all and found there was a lot more in there than I expected, because when I originally heard you speak back in June at the North American Basic Income uh, Guarantee Conference, you were talking mainly about, of course, the basic income, which is a central proposal in the book yeah. in how to fund it, uh, which really caught my attention. But the book covers a lot more ground than that. Um, and so I, it was only when I finished it that I realized that the title has a double meaning. So it's outgrowing capitalism, but it has two senses, as I take it. The first sense would be that our society has come to a point where it really needs to outgrow some of the basic mechanisms, institutional mechanisms of capitalism, of which banking and money creation is a big one. Um, and the second meaning of it is that by doing the things you propose, capitalism could actually, or not capitalism, but whatever it is, <laughs> you're proposing you to call this monetism, but the society could outgrow the pace at which it's growing now. We're not fully utilizing our resources in order to create a better, a more, a better state of well-being for the citizens in general. Did I capture that uh, successfully? Uh, I would say better than I would have captured it myself <laughs> in the sense that I, definitely the first meaning was the one that I gave it. Uh, but to some extent, I did have in mind that the second was that as well, right? Like, I think the, I do have a chapter to say, Conceptually, we should be in a situation where we are agnostic about growth, uh, but the model I do propose have the potential to grow faster should we decide to do so. Um, and, and I guess that with the challenges that we have now, also with the fighting climate change, there's a lot to do, which means also a lot to a lot to value to create, which is what's ultimately behind the, the idea of growth. Yeah, and I think it's important to emphasize that, that growth doesn't necessarily mean just more of the same, just more consumer products necessarily. It means distributing them in a more equitable way and also addressing challenges that the uh, private market is not necessarily going to challenge, uh, not necessarily going to meet these challenges like climate change principally, but also economic, extreme economic inequality, growing e economic inequality and the way that affects our politics 
and many other problems that we're facing today. So to get into this, well, let's, let's start with the basic income thing because that's what grabbed my attention. And I know you started this book some seven years ago. Yep. But it's coming at a real timely moment because with Andrew Yang's presidential campaign here in the United States, basic income has become a much more familiar concept. And also the idea of using new money, people have seen not only in 2008, but even more so now during this pandemic, that somehow the government seems to be able to shovel money out the door, like Halloween candy. Uh, doesn't seem to have too much trouble creating new money when there's a crisis, but you're saying this could be a regular feature of funding important programs like the basic income. Uh, yes, and this is exactly the way of seeing this in the sense that, uh, um, and, and by the way, I, I was, I was uh, concerned that I was late actually in publishing this book because I was really hoping to get it out. You know, when Trump was still president, there was everyone was uh, unhappy. But then, uh, once COVID crisis, the COVID crisis hit, it was uh, almost like I had to reframe a lot of the narratives around. Uh, this is I'm not talking about something hypothetical, right? We are doing it like we are we are in the middle of of the biggest money creation scheme that is not left uh, to to the market. Uh, and it's just about how to create structure around it, right? So going back to what you say, indeed, it's, it's exactly, we can do it more often. We have just decided not to. We have decided to use a more directive way of creating money only in exceptional situations, be that a war, be that a crisis like it has happened, uh, within a certain mechanism that still makes the process very cumbersome, right? Uh, this was you know, in the US, you had to get uh, lots of approvals and then figure out the scheme to give this money, to get this money into people's pocket. Uh, and, you know, who is eligible, who's not eligible? Like, do we have their bank accounts? Do we do it through the tax system? So there's still a lot of things that you need to kind of conjure up at the last minute if you don't have an infrastructure to do so, right? So, so I, I think one of the proposals, which if you want is probably the simplest one to explain is money creation actually happens every year. And indeed, some exceptional money creation, we, we could, again, structure as, as a feature of our economic system, uh, which in uh, assuming we don't know how to better, uh, or, or, or let's say, um, there's a lot of people and a lot of interest that will say money should be used that way, that way should be created for that way or the other way. That's why for me, the basic income is such a simpler way because you know every year we need some new money what most egalitarian situation and most efficient situation, which requires literally zero decision-making, zero um, discretionary, discretionary discussion, basically on, 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 like you just need to decide the amount and uh, you, you set up the accounts uh, for each individual in the central bank and, and, and it's done, right? So of all the ways we have created to, uh, or, or designed to create money and distribute it with, all the rules and, and then the use are only in crisis. Well, there are a variety of other ways that we can think of. We haven't, we, we decided or uh, mostly the economists decided that this is not something that we should think about. It's something really to use only in exceptional situation. And I guess I challenge this assumption, right? Why does it have to be that only when a crisis has happened, do we do, we do this? We, we allocate money to redirect resources to fix the crisis as opposed to do it preventively uh, and you know, in the case of UBI, you can, you, you could, yeah, there's a lot of studies, the poverty is a cost, right? It's a cost for the person, it's a cost for the government. So there's also a lot of 
cost saving that you do by allowing people to have some basics instead of uh, really struggling to meet uh, to make ends meet. Yeah, there's not, I, I don't think to the particular audience that I reach, you have to do a lot of convincing about the value of a basic income. But mm -hmm. of course, one of the big arguments, and, and you go through this pretty thoroughly in the first section of the book is the, the pro arguments for the basic income and then the, the, the worries that people have about it. And one of the biggest ones, uh, well, maybe two of the biggest ones is how are you going to fund it? And wouldn't funding something like this entail inflation? Um, so usually people who like Andrew Yang, his was based on a new tax. So usually people say either you got to raise taxes in some form or you got to cut spending in other areas of the budget or else you're going to have to create new debt. The government's going to have to borrow more money in order to fund a basic income which in most people's minds, eventually the money has to be paid back with interest. So it's a drag on the economy. Um, so all those questions about how it's gonna be funded, your proposal I find is much more simple. And to me makes a lot of sense because the last few years, I think along with a, a lot of other people, I've been thinking how in the hell does the banking system actually work? And that's the tough part for people to comprehend. I would say that the, the most common view of banking is simply some people put money, deposit money in a bank, other people uh, get loans from the bank, and then the bank makes money on interest. And that's that. It's very simple in their minds. But banks actually create money, new money, all the time. <laughs> yeah, so I was- Can you um, explain I this was, to people? Yes, yes. So I was actually talking to Steve Keen, which I don't know if you heard, but he's a, a big um, non-mainstream economist that has written debunking economics and a bunch of other books. And he has also developed some economic models which are much more uh, sophisticated than the models that economists use. And, and they can simulate a lot on what happens in society. And, and he was showing me a model of, if you believe that banks actually only lend existing money uh, you know, to someone else, if you created that um, constriction or if, if you if you model that feature you see that the economic growth basically starts going down all the way to zero there's just not enough money in the system they keep getting accumulated somewhere and so it's just like the economy will crash if banking worked that way so that was a way to show no actually banks whenever they give a new loan they expand the money supply they create new money uh, and so that that here, that's not really a theory, right? This is just a, if, you, if you go in a bank, like uh, the, the, the accounting, the way accounting and, um, you know, I guess money creation and the deposit happen is like when a bank gives you a loan, like uh, what happens to you as an individual, you get, you see an account and, and there's some digits we say, now you have this money available for you to, to, to spend it. But there's no other account from which they took the money, right? Like uh, they just created a new deposit which is the main form in which most of payments are made today, right? So, so a deposit that didn't exist before, now it exists. And, and of course, like, you know, in, in their accounting, there's a new deposit, which means that if I ask that money, because now uh, you know, I have that, I can spend them, they need to make them available, right? So, so they, they do have a, like, a, it's on one side of their balance sheet is, well, I have a loan to this individual at some point, I can get this money back. But then they have also had a deposit, which is a liability. So, so both of these are created once a loan is given. Uh, but at that moment, when you have an expansion of both sides of the balance sheet of a bank, you also have an expansion of the money supply. That deposit that I now have, I can spend. I can pay you, Alan, for uh, like if I want to buy your house, like I'm going to pay you with that, with that money that I got from the bank. 
and uh, and now that money shift from me to you you have the money and uh, you know but but that money didn't exist before right i still owe the bank so at some point i need to figure out how to repay it but that has expanded the money supply and this works continuously right like if you if you like if you only look at well but marco will have to repay that money so it's not really money creation that's fine but i need to repay them you know if it's a mortgage in 30 year right in the meantime that money circulates and it's around the system and so Every year after year, there's more Marco asking for mortgages, there's more people asking for loans, and that is the main mechanism in which our money supply expands. Um, and, and, you know, there's good, good theories on, on why it should be that way. Um, but as I write in the book, the theory, uh, and I guess for the audience, the theory is that uh, if, if, if I agree to take a loan and pay interest, and a bank trusts me enough to give me that loan, uh, in order to get the interest uh, repayment, which is how they make money. It means we kind of, I have some confidence that I'll be able to repay. The bank believes that I'll be able to repay. So that that mechanism of creating money forces someone to create value with it, right? So, and so the theory is, is why, you know, this is free market. This is how things work. Uh, unfortunately, if you look in practice, oftentimes markets don't behave as, as a theory. And in the case of money creation and banking, this is one of the markets that works the worst because you set up the system to hope that these investments create value, but instead of most of these money going into value creating investment, they go into mortgages. So you actually end up inflating the prices of existing assets, uh, houses in this case, which people have to buy and get even more mortgages. But ultimately, you know, you have those that pay rent or mortgages that increasingly pay more and more of their salaries into this. There's no value creation because, you know, the, you know, yes, the person that owns the house, you know, uh, ultimately has, uh, has a value if they, you know, buy and sell. But for the normal people that, you know, I have a house, I need to buy to live in. This is just inflating uh, and, and diminishing the value of my money because all the money now I need to put into rent, right? So it's one of those situations where the theory of value creation uh, and, and the market mechanism works the least. And so I guess going back to your initial question, if this is the way we create money and it doesn't work, why not creating money in a much more egalitarian way? Like uh, have that money creation going to every individual, not as a loan, but like as a UBI. And then yes, each of us will spend and the market will reorganize around our spending uh, in a relatively more equal way because now we have each, each of us has some purchasing power, which is year after year given as a right to be alive and living in society, which over the centuries has evolved to allow this to actually be value creating instead of inflationary. So let me reiterate some of that because that's, that's a lot for most people to, uh, to comprehend. So we need money to uh, facilitate economic transactions and the more developed the society becomes, the more economic transactions there are going to be. So we need a continual supply of new money the way money is created now is primarily banking simply creates new money, but it's created in the form of um, debt. They, they okay. loan it out rather than giving it out, and they could give it out, which is what you're proposing. Um, uh, so so commercial bank wouldn't be able to give it out, right? Because, yeah, uh, not, because not the they, commercial banking system, yeah. but money could be created and given away rather than loaned out. Uh, right now, it's loaned out on the theory that if somebody has the ability to pay back with interest, they're creating value. They're, they're enhancing the initial loan that they got in some way that's valuable to society so that they have more than to pay back. But the problem is that 
that money doesn't always go to value creation. It inflates assets like real estate, um, and it goes towards uh, the, the one that really caught my attention is how you explain this about oil companies, because they have an established business model, fossil fuel companies, um, it's easy for them to get loans because you know, you're pretty sure as a banker that they're gonna be able to pay back with interest. They make money and they've been doing it for, I don't know, 50 years or more um, with their business model, but clean energy technology is not gonna be able to get loans as easily because it's not as well established. So that money doesn't go to socially valuable um, directions necessarily. Not, not the money creation, right, from banks. Yeah. Like, you know, there are mechanisms for which, you know, if, uh, if uh, entrepreneurs or if like others that have funds available, they, they can then redirect those funds to also renewables. Uh, and, and so, so it is possible to fund those, but the money creation mechanism, which is mostly in the hands of bank, it doesn't, doesn't go that direction, right? And, and I think one, one clear example was, uh, uh, I think some, some years ago when the ECB was, uh, and I'm sure the Fed uh, was doing something similar, but the ECB was really pushing to- uh, ECB, you gotta explain that. European... Uh, the, the European Central Bank, yes. Right. Yeah, so, so the Central Bank of Europe were really trying to revive the economy, uh, which we had a much longer recession than 2009. It went all, all the way to 2015 in many countries. And, and they were basically, but the only way in which they could push money in the system, because that's the other thing, right? Either commercial banks create loans or the central bank can push money and create money directly and give them in the system. But, we, we, you know, the central bank of Europe or, or the US, you know, they can't give money to people, right? That's not a mechanism. We haven't given them that tool. So the only way in which they could do it, they could uh, either buy uh, corporate bonds uh, but again, the funny thing is corporate bonds, you know, only the large companies can issue bonds, right? And so again, they ended up financing oil companies or, or automotive companies, which, which were polluting. And so there was a lot of discussion around, uh, you know, why, why is the central bank, which is supposed to be a regulator and, you know, fine, they're doing their role of, uh, of re, 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 like um, re, reigniting the economy, but why would they prefer, you know, companies that are polluting as opposed to other companies? Uh, of course, the smaller companies, renewable energy companies, many of them, they, are, they don't have the maturity or, or the, the size to issue bonds, right? So they're naturally penalized. And so, so that's the case for uh, the central bank. But again, banks is the same, right? Like uh, it's, uh, they'll, they'll work much more likely with established businesses, which have very little risks of non repayment than any emerging technology. And so it's true in climate change uh, and in the renewables, but it's true pretty much in any in any new products, right? Uh, banks don't invest in startups uh, like you have others that do, but our main money creation mechanism doesn't really create all this value, whether it's innovation or, or you know, inclusion uh, or reigniting the economy, all of that doesn't really happen. So let's switch to the other side. Now, how you're proposing to create and distribute money. Um, the, the surprising thing to me is you went way beyond the basic income as a proposal. And we're also proposing that uh, money could create, be created by a central bank and the government could use that to, or some kind of governing institution given the authority could use that to address social problems that are democratically determined that we need to address. Um, and so that sounds like a lot of money. So explain this concept of permanent money. It, this is money that the central bank creates that is not debt-based, that it doesn't have to be repaid. Yeah, so, so that's 
you mentioned a few things there. So I'll start with this permanent money versus debt money, right? So any money that banks create has a, has a uh, due date, right? Like uh, it's a loan. So there's a date in which the loan is repaid. So in that sense, it's not permanent. It's, it's a deposit, but uh, linked to a loan. Whenever the loan is repaid, uh, you know, that, that money disappears, right? And so in that sense, you can see how that situation can become very unstable, right? Because uh, uh, if, you remind, if you remember the financial crisis, a lot of it was just banks not renewing new loans, right? So when you have a panic, you, you, you start saying, well, I, I don't want to expose myself to this risk. And so all this temporary money uh, out of the fear of bank of the banking system of saying, I think a lot of people won't repay. I think a lot of banks are actually not repaying. I start not renewing these, these loans. And so that's where, where you know, but, but at the same time, the economy needs it, right? It's not that like, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't need it as much because indeed too much went to mortgage. Uh, going back to the issue we had before, too much money was going to buying us, uh, buy, buying houses. Uh, but the economy still needed money to, you know, on a lot of other activities, right? And so banks just shrank the amount of loans they were giving and, and it showed that uh, like, or, or you know, I repay them and they don't extend me the line. All, that's all money that was not permanent and it disappeared out of the changing policies of commercial banks, right? And so my argument is in general, um, that is not the most stable way to organize an economy which continuously grows, continuously, arguably needs to grow for some time and uh, and also that there's existing assets you know the houses and everything else that has value right so of course the housing market also took a big hit when when you know suddenly uh, no one had uh, as much uh, not no one but there was much less money available to sustain the value of those houses right so so this like uh, this 80 to 90 percent always being not permanent uh, money, but like uh, based on loans, it's very unstable. Uh, and it also gives you the, the, the challenge that when you also want to restart the economy, you still need to, the only way you can do it is you create more of this temporary um, money, right? Like you just give more credit, uh, more debt. And so you have this link with, uh, we can't seem to escape that every time. Like it's just like, uh, you know, create more debt, more credit uh, and and push the ball uh, down uh, for another 10 years, right? So in that sense, it's like, I think the economy can be much more stable if you have a certain amount of money, which is permanently, uh, you know, issued in the economy and not subject to this continuous revolving of banks giving new loans and, and customer repaying the loans. So the banking role would be much smaller as opposed to much more money would be, would be always available out there. And so then linked to that, how is this money injected in society, right? Like if you have these permanent money. So permanent money in that sense means that uh, if it's issued by, the, by a central bank, uh, it's, it's issued. And as long as the central bank doesn't decide, well, I want to take it back with some of their monetary operation, it's out there, right? So, so the, if you think of the quantitative easing, uh, some of the, let's say, let's call it money printing that uh, the central banks have been doing or money injection that they have been doing, as long as they don't make a decision to take it away, that's permanently in the system, right? Uh, it's uh, it's not linked to to a commercial bank deciding to um, um, to 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 not give a new law. Um, you can make the argument, and this is a bit the cryptocurrency uh, guys are saying, well, 
Bitcoin is, that's like as good as gold, right? It's created out there. It's not even under the control of the central bank to basically take it away, right? Uh, I've made some arguments that I think given we are in a, in each each of us lives in a country and there are there's some laws i think there's still value in having some formal authority to to control i guess the amount of money in the system but the difference i'm making is um if it's a central bank that issued these monies in in, in the in the system then as long as they decide that that's that's the right amount no one is not going to be a private institution of or, or a change in confidence that will make this money disappear so in that sense, I, I call that permanent. Um, the way to inject them, like one, to inject this money. One, I said it's UBI just because in the absence of anything else, it's, uh, no one can, can say, you know, you have been unequal, you were uh, following certain interests. Like uh, that's the easier way and more equal way to, to give it to everyone and that's value as we discussed. Uh, the second one is, as you mentioned, there are some challenges that are, um, you know, when there's a war, it's, a, it's clear. When there's a pandemic, we've seen it's clear. Um, what else? And obviously, climate change comes to mind. But I also mentioned, you know, there are, you could argue there's many uses of resources, real resources, uh, be that people, be that technology, be that uh, um, physical resources that are underfunded. Um, and, you know, if I say it, it's me, but I think democratically, we can argue, for example, that in some countries, education is underfunded or in some country, healthcare is underfunded. So the question is, is there a way to carve out some national priorities uh, where you say fixing these should have a higher importance and therefore receive more resources than just letting, you know, whatever spending behavior people have, which ultimately is a lot about the affluence and the billionaires, like their spending behavior and what they're spending on that drives the, the rest of the market to, to produce and, and, and to supply and, and to deliver those services and goods. Um, so it was a long winded answer to say, um, there's a, indeed, I, I did suggest, especially given climate change, uh, there's value in having um, some other mechanism besides UBI to direct money to something very important that needs to be fixed quickly. Um, who defines that priorities? That's, you know, you, you have a variety of democratic, not democratic ways. So, so that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's go, that goes back to how each country wants to organize themselves, right? Um, but the argument is we can't always hope for taxes, and most of the time it's taxes to the billionaires or to those that have a lot to be taxed uh, to be the solution for everything, right? If you really need to tackle climate change and you say this is as important as winning a war or, or as fighting a pandemic, we should not feel we are constrained because we can't tax. Uh, we always have a solution as a government, uh, but we need to create the infrastructure so that that solution, which is the government printing money through the central bank, is not misused, misused. And so that's also, uh, I guess, the it goes back a bit to your question of inflation that I haven't tackled yet. And I'm aware of that. Well, we're already near the end of this first half of the sh show. Um, let me let me sum this up. The, the second part about other uses for permanent money, I think is good to compare that to this modern monetary theory that's um, been picked up by some people in our US Congress here and a lot of Bernie supporters are interested in it. So let's hold that off to the next one. I just wanna say with the UBI, how this would work 
in a sense that people would uh, can see how it would happen, you'd get an account at the central bank or they would just set it up for you, um, presuming the government has social security numbers and set it up like that here in the United States anyway. And then every month money would magically, not really magically, but money would appear in your account. And this would be counterbalanced um, by having commercial banks do less debt-based loans. So it's pretty much like one side uh, is goes up and the other side goes down. So it's not so much there's going to be a lot more money in the system. It's just how it's being distributed is different. Is that pretty close? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty close. I think as a starting point, this is how it was started. Like you only, you want to keep the money supply stable, but just uh, limit the amount of money the banks create and put them straight into people's pocket in through through the central bank accounts that each individual uh, can be set up to have. Um, and in the few, I mean, this is not going to be enough for uh, the level that Andrew Young, for example, is proposing, right? Like I think I, if I recollect uh, the calculation, um, roughly every year you, you, you expand the money supply by around 55% of GDP. Uh, and so that I think is equivalent to roughly, I think is like $300 or something of those sort per month uh, per US citizen, uh, which is not very little. So it's not little, but it's not the 1000, I think that Andrew Young was proposing. Uh, in order to get, like if you want to push further, then you need to think a bit on how do you deduct some money from the system in some other ways, taxation being the most frequently mentioned, um, because otherwise you, you might indeed create inflation, um, especially in the years where it's not like these years where you need so much uh, uh, stimulus in the economy to, to support uh, growth that, uh, that, uh, that it just happens that even if you print much more than 5% of GDP, as, as many central banks have done last year, mm -hmm. um, you know, now inflation is budging, but uh, it's a bigger discussion on why inflation yeah, is so increasing. You're, you're cautioning that there do have to be mechanisms, mechanisms in place to guard against inflation, but you can start out with a lower basic income and eventually move to something higher because this is a big change in the system. So you wanna see how that goes. Let's end this first segment at this point. Um, thank you very much. That's a lot for people to digest, so I'll give them a whole week in between these episodes to think about it. Uh, and we'll be back next week, actually. He and I will be back in a few minutes to try to go into this in, either, uh, in more detail to help explain it even further. So please join us again next week. Thank you, Marco. Thanks, Alan.